We are in 1 Corinthians 15. We have been for a couple of weeks. Uh, And what we're doing in 1 Corinthians 15 is we are basically talking about the resurrection of the dead. Right? Now this is good news for us because, listen to me, and um, if this is the first time you're hearing this, then I'm going to apologize to you. If it's the first time your kids are coming to grips with this, um, listen, it's time. We're all going to die. Right? This is good news for us that we have spent the last three weeks talking about the resurrection of the dead. Right? It's good news for us that, that Paul addresses this with such clarity and definitiveness and, and finality because what's going to happen is we are going to die. That's just the way that it is. And some of us have a long time before that happens. Some of us have a very short time before that happens. And most of us have zero clue what the day or the hour or the minute will be. And death stings. As Christians, we are not immune to death, to the ravages of death. We have to deal with it. I would imagine that everyone here has felt the sting of death acutely in their lives. Death is unnatural. Death goes against God's created will and purpose. Death was not his intention. Death is is the stinger of sin. Right? Think about it like a wasp or a bee that stings. Death is the sting that gets its power through sin. That wasn't God's intention. God didn't create sin. Death is a byproduct of a broken and fallen world. It's a cruel reminder that we are not in the position that God placed us in in the garden. That we do not have dominion the way that he deemed that we should have dominion. Death separates families. It separates lovers. It orphans children. It wreaks havoc in our lives. But thanks be to God that through Jesus Christ, death has lost its sting. Right? See, this, this, is, this is the reality that Paul has been preaching for the, the, the entirety of the Gospels and the epistles that he writes. And he focuses in on it now in 1 Corinthians 15 to tell us what it really means that death has lost its sting. Right? As we get to the end of this text and the end of this chapter, we'll say, Oh, death, where is your sting? Oh, death, where is your victory? Because it's been robbed of its power by Jesus Christ. And because death no longer is victorious, it means the life we live should look markedly different. Why? Because we aren't pouring it all out for the sake of enjoying this life. Because this life, no matter how good or bad it may be, this life doesn't compare to what's to come. So what's tragic 
What's tragic in this life isn't what the world teaches us is tragic. Dying young, dying broke, right? Dying without checking off all the things on your bucket list. Dying without ever having experienced that one great love that your heart desired, right? Dying without, without enjoying retirement, Dying without, without really leaving uh, a legacy for your kids and living the good life and, and being financially stable. Like, like that's what we look at. It's like, oh, that's tragic. But tragedy, when we understand that the resurrection is real. Tragedy, when we understand that we were built and created for an eternity that Christ has secured for us through the cross. When we get that tragedy honestly, is living my best life now. Tragedy is planning for a future of luxury and ease and retirement. Tragedy is wasting everything and every opportunity that God has given me to make a difference that will ring through all of eternity because that's what he made me for. We've got to. And, and, and I think as we really dig into what Paul writes here in the last chunk of 1 Corinthians 15, we're going to see that, that what we really have to do is we have to reorient ourselves. We've got to stop buying in to this idea, right, that we have one life to live and that we've got to make it the best life we can. Right? Because you only live once and you don't want to miss out. You want to experience everything that, that there's there for us and we want to have all of this and we want to... Listen, I don't want you to live that life. That life is tragic. I want you to get to the end of this life broken <laughs> with absolutely nothing left in your tank because you poured it all out for the sake of the glory of God. And the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because when you get to the end of this life, I don't care when the end of this life is for you. It could be tomorrow. could be 50 years from now. I don't care. If you get to the end of this life having poured it all out for the sake of the gospel of Jesus Christ, then guess what? That is no tragedy. That is a life well lived. And there is eternal glory beyond anything you can imagine. Because there is victory over death. And the resurrection is real. And this is what Paul has been telling us. And he continues to tell us. If you want to open up to 1 Corinthians 15, we're going to start in verse 35. And Paul's going to do two things. Um, two weeks ago, he, he was talking to us about, um, he, he says to the church, here is something you've already believed. You know it to be true. Jesus rose from the dead just like he said he would. Just like the scriptures predicted, just like he claimed, he died for your sins and he rose from the dead, conquering death. Last week, he said, and in his rising from the dead, Pastor David made this great point, in his rising from the dead, he is the first fruits of resurrection, which means he is the promise of more to come. And we get to verse 35, and now Paul specifically addresses the issue of how will that be and what will it gain us? So let's dig in. I'm going to turn my clicker on, and then it's going to work better. Every time, man, you're better than that. Some of you are thinking, no, you're not. Because <laughs> if you were, 
it would work. There it is. Um, but someone will ask, how are the dead raised? See, nobody really asked this question, or maybe they wrote it in the letter, or maybe Paul's just really thinking ahead like, this is a logical question for them to ask, right? Like, how will this be? And I get this question all the time. How is God possibly going to pull off this resurrection thing? How are the dead possibly raised? What kind of body can they really have? Here's, here's the thing I want you to know. The, the, the question that Paul anticipated that the church in Corinth would have is the same question we have. We might not say it, but we assume it. We assume that this is probably too hard for, this is probably too hard for God to pull off. I mean, what if somebody was cremated? How in the world are they going to have a bodily resurrection if they were cremated? What if somebody's organs were donated? What kind of a new body are they going to have with no organs? What if they were lost at sea and eaten by sharks? Different parts of them are in different sharks. How is that possibly going to fly? And these are legitimate questions. Explosions, fires. Not to mention, how long do you have to be in the ground before you are completely disintegrated? And so we start to wonder. It's like, yeah, okay, that's fine. I mean, I can kind of see it if like... If you died yesterday and then you were resurrected today, like maybe that would work. But, but how does the resurrection really work? How were the dead really raised? What kind of bodies will they have? Can I put your mind at ease? The God that is going to physically resurrect us from the dead, physically resurrect us from the dead, is the same God who spoke the universe into existence. He said, let there be, and then there was. You know what there was before he said, let there be? There was nothing besides him, right? He didn't need a universe that had just stopped being to go ahead and create a new universe. No, right? There was nothing. God said, let there be. And then all of a sudden there was, by the sheer power and strength of his will, he creates from nothing. And we think that somehow it's going to be hard for him, right? Because we've donated our organs to bring us back or because we were lost in an explosion? Listen, put your mind at ease. When it comes time for the bodily resurrection for the Christian, God has got it figured out. Do you know what? It's okay that we don't know exactly how it'll be because we aren't God. So my encouragement to you is when you die, you do what you want. You want to be buried? Be buried. Be entombed. You want to be cremated? Be cremated. You want to donate your organs uh, to somebody that could benefit from them? Donate your organs to somebody that could benefit from them. Right? You want to be mummified? I mean, if you can find somebody to do it, go for it. I've told my family, if they can pull it off, I would like to go Jedi style. A big funeral pyre in the backyard. Just light that thing on fire. and invite Cole. <laughs> right? This is the deal. Right? Like, with all sincerity. Right? How will it be? I don't know. But this is not hard for God to do. This is the God who spoke the universe into being, and he will handle the resurrection in the same way. By the power of his will, this will come to pass. 
How are the dead raised? What kind of body will they have? They will have physical bodies and they will happen. How will it happen? It will happen through the sheer will of God. Other than that, if you're looking for a better answer, I can't give it to you, neither could Paul. Paul can tell you, and he's going to, he's going to lay out for us what the, what the resurrection is like, right? And how it comes to be, right? In some ways that we can understand, but, but to understand the, the workings of God in this way, we just know that it's true. And thanks be to God that it's true because death has lost its sting. He keeps going. He says, you foolish person, right? He calls them foolish. He's like, you're going to ask this question. How could God possibly pull this off? And he's going to be like, are you kidding me? You foolish person. You have no trouble believing that God created the entire universe, but this one stumps you. What you sow does not come to life. He says, look, he said, God gave you an example of this. Right? In the natural world, God has given you an example of this, and Jesus talked about it in John 24. I'm going to say John 20. Now I'm going to check because I think that's wrong. John 12, 24. Because some of you, you're like writing that down. You're like, I'm going to check later because John doesn't have 24 chapters. My bad. John 12, verse 24. He gave us an example of this, right? You foolish person, what you sow doesn't come to life unless it dies. And what you sow is not the body that is to be, but it's a bare kernel perhaps of wheat or perhaps of some other grain, but, but God gives it a body as he chooses, and to each kind of seed he, he has given its own body. So we know this, right? When you plant seed, right, it, it is the plant that grows, but it's not. When there is a kernel of corn or wheat or something that goes in the ground, what goes in is a kernel, and it actually has to decompose, right? It has to, to die, Right? So that it can bring the life that God intended it to bring. That, that's how it works. Jesus says that in, in John 12, right? He says, you know, a, a, a kernel is just a kernel, right? And it, but it has to die so that it can bring a harvest. That's how it works with seeds in the natural world. That's how it's going to work with us, right? We are going to die, but... From that, because God is good, he is going to bring new life. The body he's chosen. And it's going to be physical, and it's going to be awesome. You're like, what kind of bodies will we have? I don't really know, but they're going to be awesome. We'll be like Jesus. And you remember how Jesus was after the resurrection. He was Jesus, but not really Jesus, but he was still really Jesus. Right? You get that? Like, like they didn't know him. Nobody recognized Jesus until he said, hey, it's me, Jesus. Then they were like, yes, now I see it, right? I, I picture it kind of like um, the kid that you knew. Like, listen, when I was young, when I was young, I was kind of a dorky looking little kid. It's partly my mom's fault she dressed me weird. When we went to my parents' house for, for Mother's Day, they showed us some pictures of when we were kids. They, listen, listen, they had me wearing cut-off t-shirts. I was normal kid size then, right? But still, it was bad. And Carrie made fun of them a lot as we watched them. But I grew up to be this. And so if I'm going back to an elementary school reunion, they don't have those, but let's say I was, right? Somebody that saw that guy and somebody that saw me now would not automatically recognize who I am. That kid had hair, 
right? This guy doesn't. He was skinny. This guy isn't. He wore cut-off t-shirts. This guy is never going to do that. (laughs) And really short shorts. Uh Uh-uh, it's not my bag. I'm going to have to say to them, hey, I'm Matt, Hans, remember? And they're going to be like, oh, yeah, now I remember. And as soon as they know it, they'll know it, right? That's how it was with Jesus. They didn't recognize him. He was different. He was different. He was other, right? But as soon as he, and yes, we know you. And, and Jesus, think about this, right? Jesus wasn't, he wasn't rooted in the same space, time, physical world that we are. I mean, he was here and he decided to be somewhere else. And guess what? There he was. He walked through locked doors. Like, I don't know what kind of physical bodies we'll have, but I know that we'll have physical bodies that will be ours, only better, and we'll be like Jesus. Right? That's what I know. Right? And and, and that's the way God has designed it. We keep going here. Right? And he says, "For, for not all flesh is the same. He keeps going here. He's like, like, so so all of the flesh is different. Not all of it is the same. There's one kind for humans. There's another kind for animals, another for birds, another for fish. There are heavenly bodies and earthly bodies, but the glory of the heavenly bodies are of one kind, right? And the glory of earthly is another. There is one glory of the sun and another glory of the moon and another glory of the stars for stars differ from star and glory. And so it is with the resurrection of the dead. Listen, that's a lot of words. And here's what he wants you to know. Your human flesh that you live in now in this temporary broken world is different than your resurrected flesh. Your bodies will be different. There is earthly glory and there is heavenly glory. Just like there are different fleshes that exist in this physical world that we live in, there's a difference between heavenly and earthly flesh. And heavenly is better. The same way that the sun is more glorious than the moon. You know, the, the sun is more glorious than the moon. If you go out and you stare at the sun, that is not going to end well for you. But you can stare at the moon all night long, right? Because all the moon is, is a reflection of the sun's glory, right? These bodies are good. They're good. They're more than good. They're intricate and beautiful and wonderful and mysterious. And God has done this in a way that no one else could have. That no accident could have. That no random acts could have. These are intentionally built and designed. We are knit together in our mother's womb. We are fearfully and wonderfully made. But our glory is diminished because of Adam's sin. But one day, all of that will go away. And we will die like a seed... And we will be resurrected in another kind of glory, another kind of flesh, a heavenly flesh. This is the point that Paul's making here is that don't fear death. Don't fear death. Don't live afraid of death. Because one day you are going to die. Why be afraid of something that you know is going to happen? Why live in fear of something that's a certainty? 
Don't live in fear that you might die. Live in fear that you will have wasted your life when you die. That's what we ought to be afraid of. We ought to be afraid that we are going to waste it all. Because death is a certainty, it's coming. But, but listen, when you die as a believer, it is, when you die, period, it is not over. When you die as a believer, you are resurrected in this heavenly flesh that is far more glorious and far better than anything you could possibly begin to dream or imagine. Don't waste your life worrying about this flesh. I mean, worry about it. It's a gift from God. Don't be dumb. Don't play in the street, right? Be wise, make smart decisions because you have work to do in this life that God has given you. But this is nothing to cling to. It's nothing to cling to. And Paul goes into some comparison here to really drive the point home that this life isn't something to cling to. He really lays this out for us. What is sown, like go back to the seed analogy, what's sown are physical bodies, they're perishable. But when they're raised, they will be imperishable, right? The tragedy of Adam's sin, right, is, is that it completely broke what God intended and what was good and right and forever and eternal and was supposed to be steadfast. Now it's broken. It's marred. Now there is sin with a stinger, and the stinger is death that gives sin dominion over man, but not for long. Because what is sown imperishable will be raised imperishable, where death will be defeated. And what's sown in dishonor, it's going to be raised in glory. This has to do with potential. Oh, Adam and Eve had so much potential. God gave them the world to conquer, to rule in his place. And we can't even figure out how to fix potholes in streets. And they were supposed to rule the world as stewards of God. They had so much potential. And we can still do work for God. We can still do work for God. We can still glorify God. That's our call. But our bodies are sown in dishonor. They're fragile. They're weak. They fall apart. You've heard the, you've heard the phrase, right? The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. But that won't always be the case because our bodies will be raised in power. That's his next point. Our bodies are sown in weakness, but they will be raised in power. As, as, as magnificent as our bodies are, as God has made them, we are weak. Some of us are weaker than others. But we all lack endurance. We all lack strength. Everybody susceptible to cuts and broken bones and diseases. Nobody gets out alive. But our bodies will be raised in power. On top of that, we are mired in weakness for sin. Not only are our bodies physically weak, 
and deteriorating. Like even babies, as soon as they're born, the healthiest baby is starting the process of decay and age. But even more tragic is our spiritual weakness. How many of you Christians know, how many of you know what it is to struggle with sin that won't let go of you? To struggle with sin that has got you in a way that even though you know it's wrong and even though you confess it, it hounds you. As Elder Lowell would say, it's besetting. Like it, it has a foothold in you in some way and you want to shake free from it and you want to let it go. But as much as you pray and ask the Holy Spirit to, to give you freedom, you experience some success and all, other times you experience frustration. Paul says, man, I keep doing what I don't want to do and I can't do the things that I want to do all the time because of this flesh that is in me that seems to have me. Listen, we are sown in weakness, but it will not always be so. That sin that hounds you, it will not follow you to eternity. You will be raised in power. And we're so natural. But we will be raised in a spiritual body. See, this is the reality that Paul has talked to us about. This is what he's trying to convince the Corinthians is true. This is what he's telling us so that we can know it. Why? Because he does not want us to waste our lives. He's like, yes, there is a resurrection. You already believe in the resurrection when you believed in Jesus. And of course the resurrection is for you too. Jesus was the first fruits of this, a promise of more resurrection to come. And you will be resurrected. You were weak and perishable, right? And you were sown in dishonor, but you will be glorious and strong and permanent. He keeps going. He says, because it's written like this, the first Adam became a living being. The last Adam, last Adam is Jesus. Pastor David covered that last week. The last Adam became a life-giving spirit. Right? But it's not the spiritual that it's first, but the natural, right? The seed has to die first for the, the plant to grow. The first man was from earth, a man of dust. The second man is from heaven. As was the man of dust, so also are all of those who are of the dust. Guess what? That's us. We're all in the line of Adam. That's why we are all... Um, we're all perishable and weak and sown in dishonor and natural because we're all of dust. It's where Adam was. It's where we are. But, right, as was the man of dust, so also are those who are of the dust. And as is the man of heaven, so also are those who are of heaven. Just as we have been born in the image of the man of dust, we shall also bear the image of the man of heaven. Listen to me. Again, a lot of fancy words that are just telling you this. As a believer in Jesus, you will be like Jesus. In the resurrection, you will be physically made whole and new. Yes, you're going to die. Yes, your body is going to fall apart. That's the way it works. Yes, there is weakness. Yes, there is temptation. There is struggle. There is physical ailment. And ultimately, there will be death because you are from the line of Adam. But when you have believed in Jesus, 
you belong to the man from heaven. And just as the man of heaven is of heaven, you too will be of heaven. That's the promise. It sounds so simplistic, but the implications are so rich. It sounds so simplistic, but the implications are beyond anything that we've really started to consider. Because if we are assured, if we have blessed assurance that there is a life eternal to come, if you really believe in your soul that just as Jesus Christ was raised from the dead, so too will you be raised physically from the dead to live this strong, imperishable, glorious life for all of eternity. If you believe that, then what are you doing with your life? What am I doing with mine? I mean, if I truly believe that I am going to live physically for all of eternity in glory and strength, why in the world do I care so much about some of these things that I wrestle and struggle with? Why do I waste so much time? Why am I flitting my life away on so many things that are so inconsequential? See, Paul, Paul brings us at the end of his letter uh, to the church in Corinth, and we have one more chapter to go, and he has a couple of more things to say, but this is the climax, right? Everything else is the, the wrapping up. This is the climax of the whole letter that he writes to the church. The resurrection is real, so what are you doing? Matt, the resurrection is real. What are you doing? Because you will bear the image of God, of Jesus, of the man from heaven for all of eternity. So why do you need to re-watch episodes of Seinfeld? I don't really even like Seinfeld. It's just yesterday it was all that was on. Yeah, track that with me. I don't like Seinfeld. But apparently, I just want to waste my life so much that I'm going to watch reruns of an episode of a show that I don't like. Well, I've got neighbors that are going to hell. Yeah, track that. That's a real thing that your pastor did yesterday. But the resurrection is real, man. Eric Sauer says it this way. I, I just think it's written so beautifully. The graveyards of man become the seed plots of the resurrection. The cemeteries that we hate, that we go and mourn at, the cemeteries of the people of God through the heavenly dew, are the resurrection fields of the promised perfection. There is something so good coming. Paul keeps going. He says, I'm going to tell you this, brothers. Flesh and blood can't inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the perishable. He's covered that. It's not going to happen. Uh, but there's the question, well, what happens... Um, if we're still alive at the end. Pastor David talked about this last week. Paul addresses it briefly here. Um, behold, I'm going to tell you a mystery. Not everyone will sleep. Not everyone will die. But everyone will be changed, the dead and the alive, at the time of Christ's coming. Here's what it will be like. In the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, right? Um, the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable. 
right? And, and then those that are living will also be changed from perishable to imperishable. For the perishable body must put on the imperishable, and the mortal body must put on immortality. It's like we're shedding this physical body. Our soul is taking it off. That's right. It's weird. I know it. But, but it's like your soul and your spirit, like that essence of you that God ordained, that that God created that part of you that's not physical but spiritual, that physical part of you, right, that's broken, that spiritual part of you that's eternal. It's like you're taking it off, right? He says you, you, you take off the perishable and you're clothing yourself in the imperishable, the mortal is gone. The immortality has come. That, that's what we read about in First Thessalonians. Pastor David shared it last week. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a commanding shout and the voice of the archangel and with, with the trumpet's call of God. First the believers who have died will rise from their graves. Then together with them who, will, who are still alive, right, and remain on the earth, they will be caught up in the clouds and meet the Lord in the air. And we will be with God forever. We will all be changed. We will all be imperishable. We will be immortal. We will be like Jesus. And when that happens, when that happens, when the perishable puts on the imperishable, and when the mortal puts on immortality, then this will be true. Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? Because the sting of death is sin. And the power of sin is the law. And it will be done. It will have lost. It will have been defeated forever. Death will be defeated, defanged, declawed, whatever other D you can think of. It'll have no power. Death will be swallowed up in the victory of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Through his resurrection dealt death a fatal blow. And while death still wreaks a little havoc in this physical world, in this mortal life, the sting is gone. And it's not permanent. And ultimately, Revelation 20 and 21 tells us that death will eventually be thrown into the lake of fire and will be no more. Because sin will be no more. And death is the stinger of sin. So what does that leave us? Well, it leaves us free. Christian, you're free. All of this that Paul has been saying is to get to this point so that you can understand definitively without question that Christ's resurrection broke the power of death for those who believe in him and death is no longer the master of the Christian. Why? Because it is no longer the master of Christ. Death doesn't own Jesus, and so death doesn't own those that belong to Jesus. Because you are no longer from the lineage of the first Adam. But in Christ, you are the lineage of the second. The last. So thanks be to God who gives us victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. So I know we've got one more verse in the chapter, but we're going to stop here for a second. We'll get to it, I promise. But we're going to stop here for a second. And I just want us to revel in this. I want us to revel in this fact that God, through Jesus Christ, has defeated death. Listen, I don't know what you've got in your life that feels so tragic. I don't know. 
But I promise you that your biggest problem in this life was death. Your biggest problem was death. Some of you didn't believe that always, and some of you still might not believe it, but I want you to understand why death was your biggest problem. Because death was not your ceasing to be. Death was your damning to hell. You have got to break free. If you still hold this even a little bit, you've got to break free from this idea that death is the end. For us or for people that don't know Jesus. Because once we die, there are two very real destinations. There is, there is no third option. There is no, never mind, I quit, cash out, I'm done. I just disappear. As David said, I go back to the great energy. No, 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 none of that's real. None of that matters. None of that's possible. There are two destinations. I go to heaven because I'm with Jesus. I go to hell because I'm not. Like, Matt, that's not fair. That's harsh. It's mean. Whatever. I didn't write it, man. I can create the system. I can tell you that it's infinitely gracious. And it gives us love that we didn't deserve. Right? But if if you're hung up on the fact that hell seems unfair, I get it. I wish it wasn't part of the deal. But it is. And I can't help it. Jesus talked about hell a lot. Hell is real. And when we die, right, it's not heaven or nothing. It's not what it is. It's heaven or hell. But we don't have to taste hell. Why? Because thanks be to God who gave us victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. We have victory over death and everything that comes with it. We have victory over death. Death has lost its bite. That's the truth of the gospel. This is, this is again, the climax of what Paul's sharing. And so here's the deal. I'm going to ask us to take a minute and pray. We're going to listen to a song uh, appropriately called Victory in Jesus. You can sing along. You can hum if you want. And at some point in time, at some point in time when you're ready, I want to celebrate communion with you. Because communion is the, the expression that, God, we believe and celebrate that what you did on the cross and through the resurrection of the dead is real. And we know that because you've defeated death, that we will be like you. That you have paid for our sinfulness and you have defeated death once and for all. And so we're going to listen to this song. If you know it and want to sing, hum along. If, you can get up and dance if you want, although that might... You know, dance all the way down to get your communion cup and dance all the way back for all I care. You do you. But at some point in time, I'm going to ask you to come and grab communion and we'll partake of it together and we'll wrap up the text. As people are uh, continuing to filter up and grab communion, no hurry, take your time. Um, I I do want to just reflect a little bit on what we do when we take communion. Uh, As we take communion, we're celebrating the reality of what we've been reading about. Go back to that last slide, would you, John? We're celebrating the reality of what Paul's been teaching us. Thanks be to God that we have victory. 
Sometimes, right? There you go. Thank you. Um, all right, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna... to... You can see it on one. That's close enough, man. Uh, but thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. This is the reality. The reason that we take communion is because we have been given victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. We have victory in Jesus. As the song says, right? As we sang earlier, what do we have? Death is arrested. We are free, free forever. Amen. Death is arrested and we have this eternal life and we do not want to waste it. When we, when we drink of the cup and we eat the wafer, the bread, what we're saying is we believe it to be true that death has lost its sting, that death has lost its victory because of what Jesus Christ has accomplished. We'll go ahead and, and, and you can peel off the top layer there to, to get your, your wafer. And we do this the, the way that, that, in the simplest way that we can. Not a lot of pomp, not a lot of circumstance, just thanksgiving. On the night he was betrayed, Jesus took the bread, he broke it, he gave it to his disciples, and he said, eat this and remember me. And so we do. And we know that as we eat the bread that we are celebrating, that's right, it's weird, we're celebrating the fact that his body was broken and sacrificed on the cross. That death seemingly had its way with Jesus. But we know that's not the end. And you can peel off the, the, the rest and, and ready for the drink because he also poured the cup and he passed the cup and he said, this is, is the blood of the, my blood. It's the new covenant. The new covenant tells us that there is victory over death. That while death seemingly had its way with Jesus, that death did not win. That because Jesus burst forth from the grave and was resurrected bodily, physically, made wholly new from perishable to imperishable, from weak to strong, from dishonorable to glory, his body made new. That we too have victory over death. And so we drink. Communion isn't just some ritual that we practice and that we do, but it reminds us of the truth that we are victorious. And it leaves us with just this last thing. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, be immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. So how does Paul end this chunk of the resurrection? How does he finish this whole thing off? He spent um, the, the largest chapter, right? The largest section of his letter to the church in Corinth, who he ministered to in love for years and who he has been praying for daily since his departure. Who he has had to correct and encourage and admonish and love and, and, and who he is heartbroken for. How does he end this whole section on the resurrection? Yes, you already believed in the resurrection when you believed in Jesus. And you should remember that Jesus is the first, fr first fruits of a future resurrection. You will be resurrected. And when you are, you will be raised in glory. So with all of that in mind, remember this. Do not waste your life. Don't waste your life. Therefore, 
My beloved brothers, sisters, be steadfast. Don't waver. Be immovable in your faith and your belief. Be strong. Always moving forward in the work of the Lord. And know that no matter how hard it is, it is never wasted. A life that is poured out for the sake of the gospel is not tragic. A life that is cut down in its prime is not tragic. A life that, that, that is, is by worldly standards without and poor is not tragic if it's a life spent for the sake of the gospel. John Piper told a story in his book, um, Don't Waste Your Life, uh, about two women. I'm going to look because I'll, I'll forget their names. Ruby Eliason, Laura Edwards, both killed in Cameroon. Ruby was, was an 81-year-old uh, woman who had never been married. And at the age of 60, when she should have been retiring to live the good life, decided to move to Cameroon to devote the rest of her life um, to reaching people who had never heard the gospel of Jesus Christ. Laura Edwards um, was an 80-year-old retired doctor who had been widowed, who decided that instead of retiring, that she would move to Cameroon and work with Ruby. And for 20 years, the two of them poured themselves out for the sake of the gospel in Cameroon until one day their brakes went out and they careened off a mountain and they died instantly. That's not a tragedy. Can you imagine the conversation that they get to have with Jesus? Here's what we did. Here's what we spent. Here's how we emptied ourselves in this life to be prepared for this next one. Not a second was wasted. You know what's tragic? In the same book, John Piper writes the story that he got from Reader's Digest about the couple that took early retirement from their executive jobs in the Northeast at 59, and she was 51, um, and they moved to Punta Gorda, Florida, to spend their days sailing around on the 30-foot boat, fishing, playing softball, and collecting seashells. Still alive to this day, playing softball, trolling around on their boat, and collecting seashells. I'm thinking about the conversation they're going to have with Jesus. Look at all the shells we collected. I mean, think about all the naps we took in the sun. How awesome was that? There is tragedy in this life, but it is not what we think it is. And I want to encourage myself and I want to encourage you to do not waste your life. Be thinking. Be thinking about how you spend your time and be thinking about whether it's more concerned with the temporary or more concerned with the eternal. Because Christian, we're made for more than the temporary. Heavenly Father, God, you are good and gracious and kind and we love you. Thank you for the resurrection from the dead and for the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ.
Thank you that death has lost its power and its sting and its victory. Thank you for the victory that we have in Jesus Christ. That what is perishable will one day be imperishable. That these mortal bodies, while they must die, they will be raised immortal. God, we love you and we thank you for those promises. We thank you that you loved us while we were still sinners. And we ask you through the power of your Holy Spirit to help us live a life that matters. To stand firm. To be steadfast. To be immovable. And to always be about the work of the gospel. We love you. We praise you. Amen.